And at whatever point, this thief, because the book of Matthew says that both the thieves were casting curses in Jesus' face. But at some point, the one thief looked over at the center cross. And he realized that the one on the the center cross was not guilty. He said, we are punished justly for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. But he has done nothing amiss. And so then he simply says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. It is good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to the book of John, chapter 19, the book of John, chapter 19. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, the end of chapter 19 um, and the beginning uh, or the the end chapter 20. So the end of chapter 19 and John chapter 20. And uh, today I'm going to talk to you about the triumph of emptiness, the triumph of emptiness. And I have three empty things that symbolize triumph for us this morning. But before we dig into the word of God, let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we ask you to be here with us this morning. We thank you that we can pray in confidence, believing that you will be. For we read in your word that Jesus is making intercession for us at the throne of God daily. And so we just ask him uh, in a special way to do that today and to impart uh, his spirit of clarity to us that we may behold wondrous things from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we consider uh, emptiness, usually that's considered a bad thing. Nobody wants an empty car. Uh, empty of gas when they go to get behind the wheel, especially if they're going on a long trip. Nobody wants an empty cupboard when they're hungry. Um, And especially for um, young people, sometimes they can get discouraged if they go into the kitchen and they open the cupboard and they say, I didn't find any food. All I found was a bunch of ingredients. But regardless... Emptiness is considered a bad thing, but today we're going to consider emptiness as a good thing. And the first empty thing that we are going to contemplate together this morning is the empty cross. Many crucifixes depict Jesus still on the cross. But how wonderful is it for us to look at the cross And to know that it is empty because he did not stay on the cross. He said it is finished. He gave up the ghost and he died for our sins. 
So starting to read in John chapter 19, verse 38, we read, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there also came Nicodemus, which at first had come to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in this garden, there was a new sepulcher. And in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never a man yet laid. So we see here in this verse, group of verses here, that we have an empty cross. Joseph of Arimathea begged the body of Jesus. In another epistle we read that Pilate was surprised that Jesus was dead, but they confirmed that he was. How did they confirm this? Well, they wanted to get these bodies off the cross before the special Sabbath. So they broke the leg of the first thief. They broke the leg of the second thief, which would cause them to suffocate because they wouldn't be able to push up on their legs anymore. And then they came to Jesus, but he was already dead. So they plunged a spear into his side and blood and water came out and it confirmed his death. Why is this important? Because the Bible says, by prophecy, not a bone of his body shall be broken. Everything that happened to Jesus happened in fulfillment of prophecy. And I think it's really interesting that we have here in this passage two people who believed Jesus was who he said he was, but had been hiding for fear of the Jews. But now they said, we didn't do right by him while he was alive. We're going to do right by him now. So Joseph of Arimathea lays Jesus in his tomb that no one had ever laid in. And Nicodemus is there helping to prepare the body. Incidentally, this will give credence to the resurrection because as the body is being prepared, they're binding it tightly in linen with spices. And what would happen over the next three days is that that linen fabric with those spices drying in that tomb would create a very stiff, and hard to unbind situation. So that when you see the the grave clothes laying aside and they're all neat and and folded almost untouched, that that is actually a proof of the resurrection. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Can we read by way of cross reference? Mark 15, 
42 to 47. Mark 15, 42 to 47. Because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting, waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went to the Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead and summoned the centurion. He asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And then he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in the tomb, which had been hewed out of rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesse observed where he was laid. So Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus observed where he was laid. Some people might try to tell you that they went to the wrong tomb, that they got the address wrong. You ever been traveling somewhere and your GPS takes you out of the way? Or you or you remember times before GPS when you had your MapQuest maps? Um, I remember there there was a there were some times when we were traveling with my grandparents and they would look at the map and they and they had a hard time deciphering between when the road itself curved and when they were supposed to turn. And I, I know at least one time that they got lost because they took a turn when they were just supposed to follow the curving road. Mm-hmm. So people would say, well, there's other tombs in, in town. Maybe they went to the wrong one. But Mark, and a lot of people think he took his stories from the Apostle Peter, Mark wants to make sure that we know that they saw where Jesus was laid and then they went to the right place. Okay, so the first triumph of emptiness is the triumph of the empty cross. Now we're going to see the triumph of the empty grave clothes. And I'm going to read John 21 to 10 uh, quickly here. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre. And seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them. They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulchre. So they both ran together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes laying, yet went not when he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lay, and the napkin that was about his head, not laying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which had first come to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. So we see here that Mary Magdalene comes to the sepulchre, and she sees 
the stone rolled away. And she is afraid. She saw Jesus put in this tomb and the stones rolled away. Tradition holds that it was a very large stone that as many as six or more men would be required to roll it into place. This was not just a pebble to move out of your way to go forth. This was a huge stone. It was sealed by a Roman guard, and yet Mary Magdalene comes and it's and it's open. And she runs back and tells Peter and John, and they decide to see for themselves. So so Peter and John are running to the tomb and I I, I like the little bit of humor um, that is in verse 4 because John doesn't refer to himself by name. He writes this narrative in the, the third person. He just says um, that he is the other disciple. But it says in verse 4, so they both ran together and the other disciple did outrun Peter. And I just I just think that I just think that's that's really kind of a fun little humorous thing there. Um I saw this meme on Facebook a while back. It said um something like they were running to the tomb and Peter said said, No one will know that you outran me and John's like, Don't worry, Peter, they'll know. <laughs> So now we all know. But we want to focus primarily on verses 5 to 7 here. Because it says, And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in the other disciple, which first came to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. Now, I'm not sure what John believed at this point, because verse 8 follows with verse 9, for as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. So we see here empty grave clothes. I talked a little bit about how impossible it would be for these gray clothes to be neat um, if someone had taken the body out of them to remove it. So the fact that the grave clothes were there and the fact that they were empty is an important thing. Here's what David Gizek from the Enduring Word Bible Commentary says about this. He saw the linen clothes lying there going in Peter then saw the ancient Greek word theory, meaning to contemplate, observe, scrutinize, that the cloths were still orderly and neat. It looked as if the body evaporated out of the burial wrappings without disturbing their place. The phrasing of linen cloths lying there and folded together in a place by itself indicates the orderly arrangements of the burial wrappings. Prepared for burial, these strips of linen cloths were smeared with ointments and aloes and spices and the linen cloths were applied in several layers. The burial of Jesus on the day of his death was hurried, 
And the woman came early Sunday morning to apply more layers. The mixture of ointments, aloes, and spices would dry and harden the linen cloths, making something of a mummy or a, car- or a co- cocoon. The normal removal of these burial wrappings would require some tearing or cutting. Peter saw that it was no normal removal of the burial wrappings. The whole point of the description is that the grave clothes did not look as if they had been put off or taken off. They were lying there in their regular folds as if the body of Jesus had simply evaporated out of them. Uh, That is according to a commentary by Barclay, and I don't have a first name here. The neat orderly arrangement of the linen clothes showed that a human hand at least not in any way that was immediately apparent, did not remove the burial wrappings of Jesus. All this demonstrated something absolutely unique had happened in that now empty tomb. The linen clothes were there. The body had not been removed with them. The linen clothes were orderly, not removed in any normal way by a person wrapped in them. The linen clothes were orderly, not removed by grave robbers or vandals. Why? Because Jesus had risen. And we know that Jesus' glorified body had the power to go through walls. Because it says, as the disciples were locked in the upper room, he appeared in their midst. Unless they think he was a ghost, he ate fish and honeycomb. And he says, a ghost does not have flesh and blood as you see me have. That must have been extremely exciting to be there that day. But my Bible tells me that I will look on him whom I have pierced. And as Fanny Crosby once said, I shall know him, I shall know him. And redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the prince of nails in his hand. And I'm looking forward to that day. Can we look at John eleven forty one to 45? John eleven forty one to 45. I just want you to see a little bit of contrast between, between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of his friend Lazarus. John eleven forty one to 45. And they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you will always hear me, but I said these to the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his feet. Jesus said to them, take off the great post and let him go. So in Lazarus's case, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And I like what one preacher said. He said, if if Lazarus, if he didn't say, if he didn't call Lazarus by name and simply called him forth from the grave, who knows how many other people would have showed up. But Lazarus comes forth out of the grave. And what does it say? He says to the people gathered around, loose him and let him go. But nobody had to say that about or to Jesus. Nobody had to say, loose him and let him go because he was loose because he had power over sin, 
death, and the grave. We just sang earlier today, death could not keep his prey. He tore the bars away. And the one that tore the bars away did it so that you and I can have the hope of resurrection one day. The resurrection means that one day I will stand up out of this wheelchair for once and for all and I will run on the streets of gold. I have been waiting for over 40 years to run and one day it's going to happen and I'm excited for it. So the second thing we see is the empty grave clothes. The third thing we see is an empty tomb. John twenty eleven to eighteen. John twenty eleven to eighteen. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and see two angels in white, sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken my away my Lord, and I do not know. Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had said thus, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples all that she had seen, and that she had spoken, and that he had spoken these things unto her. I love this passage. Because what did Jesus say in John chapter 10? said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. How did he make himself known to Mary? He said her name. And in the instant that he said her name, she knew him. I'm thankful that I serve a God who says my name, who knows my name, who loves me who created me for a purpose. As Paul said, the life that I live, I now live by the faith of the Lord Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. What wonderful peace that gives. Isn't it great that Jesus meets us where we are. He didn't leave Mary weeping at the tomb. Instead, he appeared to her and then, in essence, wiped away her tears and gave her joy. What a wonderful God we serve.
Can we look by way of cross-reference at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8. What a wonderful testimony Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The simplicity of the gospel is there. He died according to the scriptures. He fulfilled scripture when he died. He was buried according to the scriptures. He fulfilled scripture when he was buried. And he rose again according to the scriptures. He told the disciples three times that this would happen, and yet they did not remember his words until after they had seen the risen Christ. But he didn't leave them hopeless. He came to them and he showed them himself. I'm so thankful for God's patience with me and with you and for the way that he gives us what we need when we need it. He meets us where we are, but praise God, he doesn't keep us there. We are told that we are on a journey, a journey like no other, a journey with one goal in mind that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. That we would become more and more like the master who died for us. We are living in a culture and a time right now, much like the judges, where it said in the beginning of judges, there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in their own eyes. And in the end of Judges, it was the same refrain. There was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in their own eyes. But I can tell you today unequivocally that there is a God in heaven, and he is reigning. He is on the throne. Jesus said to his disciples before he left this earth, In this world, you will have tribulation. It's guaranteed. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then he went out and proved it by rising from the dead. 
because of his sacrifice on that cross, the repentant thief was able to wake up in paradise. Imagine what that must have been like, hanging on the cross next to Jesus, listening to everybody rail on him, listening to everybody curse him. But Jesus keeps giving out love. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says, Woman, behold thy son. And to John, he says, Behold thy mother. The thief is witnessing all of this. And he's like, he should be cursing and yelling and asking for relief, but instead, he's caring for others. And at whatever point, this thief Because the book of Matthew says that both the thieves were casting curses in Jesus' face. But at some point, the one thief looked over at the center cross. And he realized that the one on the the center cross was not guilty. He said, we are punished justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. But he has done nothing Amiss. And so then he simply says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. There's no delay with Jesus. You know, when Jesus healed somebody, Like, especially when he would tell people, go your way, your daughter has been healed, or or, it is as you say. And the people went back. It wasn't like three days later the person was healed. It was they would go back and they would inquire after they found their loved one well, and and they would inquire of the hour. And then they would find out that it was the very hour that Jesus spoke those words. That the person was restored to health. Why? Because the same one that was healing people on earth is the same one that said, let there be light. And there was light. Remember when Jesus spoke in the garden, they said, whom seek ye? Or he said, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they fell backwards. If you need any further proof that Jesus himself laid down his own life, there it is. No one took his life. He laid it down. So what is the conclusion that we draw today? The conclusion is that because of what Jesus did for us, we have a full and lasting peace before God. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. John 20, 19 through 31. That same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them, And said unto them, why didn't you believe me? I told you what I would do. No, he didn't. 
He said, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again the disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither your finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. And many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So Jesus was thinking about us when he said that. Because he said, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. And Peter said it this way, to you who believe, he is precious. My Lord is precious to me and I pray and I hope that he is precious to you. The Apostle John also wrote in his first epistle, These are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Some people who, even those who claim to follow the Lord Jesus, may sometimes say, well, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. But the Bible says we can know. The Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a guarantee. Jesus always speaks in the definitive article. He never says maybe. He only says yes and amen. So my prayer for you today is that you would consider the Christ who is resurrected. He didn't stay dead. You can go to a cemetery and you can see the grave of Muhammad and the grave of many other religious leaders who are rotting away. But when you go to the tomb, the stone is rolled away and you can look in. He is not there, for he has risen just as he said. And Paul told us that if Christ be not risen, our faith is in vain. But then he followed it up by saying, but now is Christ risen? He is risen. 
He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your goodness to us. We don't deserve it, but You give it to us freely anyway. And You tell us over and over in your in the Scriptures that You love us. You say, You told the people of Israel in Jeremiah, I have loved Thee with an everlasting love. And You told the disciples to love others as you have loved them. And you tell us even today that they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. Lord, may we be characterized by love and may we go our way rejoicing knowing that you are alive. And if the resurrection is true, then we can trust you that you're coming again soon. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if we might close with that hymn coming again. I'm not sure what number it is, but...